Coming to you from Beaumont, this is your house call. As our communities continue to navigate the COVID pandemic, the topic of a safe return to school has evolved into a complicated issue. And it stirred up a lot of passionate debate among public health experts, educators, politicians, parents, and students alike. Today, we have a couple of guests on the podcast to discuss what a safe return to school might look like this year. Hello and welcome to the Beaumont House Call podcast. I'm Dr. Nick Gilpin, and my goal is to help you and your family live a smarter, healthier life. Our first guest is Ben Gilpin. Ben is the principal at Warner Elementary in Spring Arbor, Michigan. He's been front and center in this debate in his own community and school district. Ben also hosts a podcast called Unearth Ed, which focuses on issues affecting schools and school leaders. It's available on iTunes and Stitcher. Full disclosure, Ben also happens to be my older brother. So Ben, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for taking time from your busy schedule. Great to be on, Brother Nick. Dr. Nick, <laughs> it's, uh, this is, uh, yeah, it's been a long time coming. I know that you've talked a couple times on, uh, on the Unearthed podcast, so yep. it's great to have you on. Um, so it's a, it's a privilege and an honor. So thank you. My, yeah, my pleasure having you here. So Ben, we're going to jump right in. And, and you and I have had a lot of conversations offline about this. I know you've got your opinions and um, I want to hear them. So first question right out of the gates, probably the toughest question. The success of having in-person school seems predicated on everybody doing their part, right? Students, parents, teachers, the whole ball of wax. But the U.S. has seen so many examples already of people failing to take public health and safety seriously. For example, you've got numerous outbreaks in congregate settings, uh, large mass gatherings. You've got you know reports everywhere of people refusing to wear masks. And let's not forget about a very large swath of the population that really just thinks that this whole thing is a big nothing burger. So I guess the question that was a long-winded approach to the question of how are schools going to fundamentally succeed in this space where so many other businesses and industries have really failed to make a dent? Well, I and you know what? Here's the deal. I am going to be as candid as possible because I think that people need to hear that and um, I think that's what I think that's what you would want as well. Um, quite frankly, um, I think Michigan has a small advantage, and I'm going to say, and I'm going to say that with kind of a grain of salt. But um, the small advantage is that there are other states that are already opening up, and I'm hoping that we can learn from other states that are opening up. I know, uh, in particular, we hear quite a bit coming from the state of Georgia, um, okay. and, I, and I'm hoping that we can learn from you know, some of the outbreaks and some of the things that they have had happen. So the question becomes, how do we succeed when most have not succeeded? And boy, um, I guess I'm, I guess I'm going to say that that's going to be, that's going to be the challenge. Um, I know that what we're wrestling with though happens to be, it's not just, I mean, it's a, it's a twofold issue in a lot of ways. It's the one part about the health and safety, um, to not contract the virus, but there's also the mental health side. And we know that um, so many kids are struggling with that piece at home. And so, you know, what is the tipping point? And, and that's the balance right now that we're trying to, we're trying to figure out. 
I totally agree. I th- you, you, you have to. You have to look at community, um, you know, what's going on in the community. You have to look at community disease transition to, to drive some of these decisions. But you make a, a very compelling argument that you also have to consider the emotional and psychological well-being of the students, right? And it is. And, that's, and so, you know, as I look at some of the things as we're trying to figure out how to reopen, um, communicating with with um, families has been at the at the utmost priority. I can tell you, on a typical basis, when I send out a newsletter or if I put something out there on social media, um, I'm going to typically get in a in a couple days span somewhere between eh, 200 to to 300 hits on it. Mm-hmm. Um, right now, during a pandemic, uh, if I put something out there on on any type of social media or put a newsletter out there. I'm getting triple that in about a, in, in actually less time. And so right now, the thirst for information from families and communities I'm seeing is, is at an extreme premium. Um, as we prepare to go back, a couple of things that we're really highly taking into consideration. How do we do our best with social distancing? How do we, how do we make sure that we're safe as far as the students and staff go, as far as masks, as far as cleaning, uh, as far as that hygiene aspect. Yeah. Um, but, but also the other part, and this is, this is pretty critical. And I think that you as a, as a medical professional know this, there is a part of what we're doing that I would actually say is practice. Yeah. Um, if, if families expect us to be perfect when we come back, I think that's where failure is going to happen. Sure. I, I would hope that in the same sense as, a, as in medicine, that there's a leniency to a, to having it basically be a work in progress. And I know that some are not going to like that answer. I know that that's going to, that people are going to want a better answer than that, but we're working with human beings and there's going to, I mean, teaching a five-year-old and a six-year-old how to keep a mask on for an extended period of time and to not touch their face is not something that we're going to have mastered in 24 hours. It's going to take time, and we need we need families to understand that. And, I, and I've struggled with that, Ben. I, I, and one of the things that you know my next guest and I are going to talk a little bit about is how the science has been evolving and changing. And what we thought we knew three months ago might be radically different than what we think we know today. And I think that it's safe to say that schools are no different. There, there is an element of, of experimentation that's really happening right now in real time. And you're right, that is going to make people uncomfortable. I think the, the secret to success, and you, you you danced around it, but I think it's communicate all day, every day. Be transparent as you can be and make sure that you're communicating with your students, your parents, your teachers, your community the best you can. Ben, I want to get into some specifics a little bit about some of the things that you're doing um, to make in-person learning safe. Now, if I heard you right, you did say that you your school district is going to be going back to some form of in-person schooling, correct? That is correct. So what are you going to do to, to help mitigate, you know, the, the, the risk of transmission in your schools? You talked about masking and social distancing, and I'm guessing you're going to be limiting class sizes. What are some other strategies that you're going to implement to, to make this a reality? Yeah, so what we're doing is essentially, and I know a lot of districts have done this, we're offering multiple options to families. Option number one, is a virtual or online only. And then the other option is we have a face-to-face. Um, I do know that other districts have had something in the middle of those, maybe more like a hybrid or something that's a 50% type of a schedule. 
Yeah. We don't have that option. We basically have um, families can come back uh, full-time five days a week, or they can go online. Uh, right now, our community is about a, I would say it's, it's about a 65-35 split. 65% are choosing to go face-to-face. 35% are choosing to go online. Okay. That number may fluctuate a little bit. Now, given, and here's the other thing, given the um, the, the number of cases in Jackson, Michigan, um, our cases are less than 1% of the state. Um, I, and I think that's what's dictating a lot of people feeling better about coming back face-to-face um, than other areas. I do know that um, there are other counties in the state that have a much higher rate that probably are seeing more online. And I understand that that's a region-by-region decision. Indeed. And I think you have to factor in issues like access to computers and um, you know what the what the child's home situation might be if both parents are working and, and so on. And I'm, I'm sure that that takes um, a lot into account there as well. Yep. And so what we've done is we, we are providing uh, an iPad for all students. So we'll be oh, wow. one-to-one, one-to-one for young fives through 12th graders. Uh, we're also going to be providing um, a learning management system, which in education terms, they give the um, LMS is, is what you'll frequently hear. But that learning management system is so that parents don't have to navigate all of these different resources that classroom teachers tend to throw at you. Uh, this will be basically a one-stop shop. Uh, the other thing that we're doing, yes, we are requiring masks for all students and staff from the moment they enter the building. Obviously, they can take the masks off uh, during times of eating. Um, we also and it is my job as, a, as the principal to try to develop some schedules. We're going to get some kids outside. We're going to have some outside lessons that are able to happen. And when the kids are outside and we're able to create a little bit of distance, they will be able to take those masks out, off outdoors. Um, the, the hope is that we get some decent weather and that we're able to provide multiple times during the day that the kids can take the masks off outside for some fresh air and for some outside learning, because I think that that would be a good thing for kids. Yeah. And then the other thing that's that's worth mentioning is the social distancing piece. Our class sizes, based on the the feedback that we've received from our community, our class sizes are not going to be at 100% capacity. Most classes, I'm going to tell you, are probably going to be somewhere between 14 and maybe top end 20 students. 20 does make me, quite frankly, a little uncomfortable. Um, but in somewhere in that teen area, I think we can do a very good job. Uh, and we're also looking to put in some, uh, some barriers for times that um, we feel like uh, closer contact may be necessary. And so there's some plastic guards that we, we've also got in place that will help with that. Ben, what about... Um screening? Are, are you going to be requiring that students check in on arrival and do some type of a screening protocol or temperature taking or anything like that? We are going to be, we've already asked our families that they are going to have a daily um, screening that the families are going to be responsible okay. for. This is, this is quite frankly, putting a lot of trust in families. Sure. Um, I want to, I mean, my stance, you know me well enough. My stance is I want to believe people are going to do the right thing and be honest about it. So we are hoping that families will will take some uh, take this very seriously and screen their child before either a putting them on the bus or dropping them off to school. Um, 
you know, and I think this is a bit of human nature. And I was just having this conversation with a friend of mine recently. I would be the perfect example. I don't miss a lot of days at work. When I don't feel 100%, when I'm maybe 80%, I still come to work. Quite frankly, I have to, I'm, I, yeah. I have to do differently now. Yeah, there's got to be some discipline there for sure. Right. There ha- it has to be different. And so I have to adjust the way I've always treated myself. I think that we also need to have that with our kids, but also with our teachers as well, that we need to understand if we are not feeling well, we need the, the best thing, not only for us, but also for the ones that we are going to come in contact with is to stay home. I want to run a couple of scenarios by you just to kind of get your thoughts. And I don't think there's a perfect answer. And, I, and you mentioned the importance of, you didn't say the word agility, but I think that that's the word we're looking for here is that, you know, this is going to be a challenge. You're not going to be perfect right out of the gates, but I think there's going to have to be some flexibility. Um, what are you going to do when, if and when, a handful of students um, come down sick? Well, so we've got a we've got a quarantine room, quote unquote, and that is going to be in. Uh, we are going to have a designated area that um, when kids are are sick, obviously we don't have an on-site screening to be able to know if they're positive or negative or anything like that. So if they're not feeling well, we have a quarantine room. Mm-hmm. We are going to be contacting parents immediately. Um, the expectation from parents is that they are going to make it their top priority to come and get their child. In the past. Sometimes that has taken a little bit longer. And I know that as people listen to this, they probably understand that if you're at work, sometimes you can't just simply get up and leave right away. But we are asking people to do that um, in, a, in a very quick manner compared to potentially doing that in the past. Um, so that's going to be the first thing. We are going to have a quarantine room. The second piece to your answer is we are going to lean on the health department. Um, yeah. The health department has shared with us that um, – they may not shut down a school. Um, they may simply shut down just a classroom. It's really going to come down to that contact tracing. It's going to come down to how many how many people have the potential um, person been in contact with, whether that's a teacher, whether that's a staff member, whether that's a student. Ben, good stuff. Um, I wish you all the luck. I think it's going to be a real challenge, but I mean, this is going to be... This is going to be one for the ages, no doubt about it. And I know you've got uh, you got the right outlook and you've got the right mindset. I think it's going to be uh, a success. I really do. I appreciate that, Nick. You know, it's it's ultimately we're all working together, right? Yep. And, and this is this is a first for all of us. And you know, you and I talk quite a bit about um, um, hoping that people offer grace, hoping people are patient and understanding, and hoping people will. Um, will help be part of the solution and not part of the problem. Um, and I know as educators, that's that's what we're hoping for. We are hoping that people want to be part of the solution and not part of the problem. And and, um, and this will be a fall like I have never experienced. And so I've, I've got to go into it. Uh, I've got to tighten my belt and I've got to, I got to be ready to go. So um, to all the leaders and educators out there, um, I, I feel your pain and together what I do know is we are problem solvers That's and, right. um, this is, this is another problem that we are going to solve. Ben Gilpin, I'm going to let you go so we can pivot to our next guest. Um, but I appreciate you coming on the podcast. Before we go, do you want to give a shameless plug for your podcast? <laughs> you know, I've, uh, so I've got the unearthed podcast, which is a, um, educational leader podcast. Uh, but I will just say this, um, 
there's a lot of resources out there for people to check out and um, do your do your homework basically and and um, and find find a source that is legitimate because there's a lot out there right now that um, that it really isn't so that'll be my plug right there Nick okay I hope you have a great day and I wish you the best hopefully you and I can sometime sometime get out there on the link that's right talk soon Ben take care thanks Next up, we're going to be talking with Dr. Trini Matthew. Trini is an infectious disease physician, and she is the hospital epidemiologist at Beaumont Hospital in Royal Oak. Worked closely together throughout the COVID pandemic to develop our uh, protocols and policies, always with the best interests of the healthcare providers and, of course, the patients in mind. But today, we're going to turn our attention away from the hospital and focus on the issue of students returning to school in the wake of COVID. And so in today's podcast, we're going to hammer on a bunch of different topics, including what some of the key differences in the clinical presentation of COVID might be in a school-aged child or, or student compared to that of an adult, and why does this matter. Uh, we're going to talk about what schools should be doing to help provide a safe environment for students, and we're going to talk about what schools should be doing in the event of a cluster or an outbreak of COVID cases, which many of us believe is probably just a few weeks away. So with that, I'm going to welcome Trini Matthew to the podcast. Thank you very much for having me, Nick. Appreciate you having me here. So Trini, let's jump right in. There's a lot here, um, and this is a big, big topic. So Trini, according to the CDC, and I've got a few statistics here, persons under the age of 17 account for around 7% of all cases in the United States, a relatively low number, and less than 0.1% of deaths. So with that information, I think it's fair to say that school-aged children are less likely to manifest severe symptoms of COVID. Uh, and many students or many uh, school-aged children may, in fact, have no symptoms at all. So let's take a moment here and let's talk about what some of the differences might be in terms of the symptom presentation that we see in young people versus in older adults. Next, we do think that many of the symptoms that children have actually also are seen in adults. So in some respects, the symptoms are a lot similar. And again, just to recap what we know about COVID, mm -hmm. which is a novel virus, and we're learning more and more and science is evolving. But what we really do know is as a viral illness with a respiratory component, people, kids including, may have fever, cough, difficulty breathing. Now, the other symptoms that we have identified both in adults and children include diarrhea, belly pain, abdominal pain, muscle aches, the classic flu-like symptoms that we've always known about. Yep. And what's one thing concerning is also some children may have a rash or what CDC has now identified and called it as a syndrome by itself, a multi-inflammatory syndrome, and specifically in children. Mm -hmm. And that's what we are concerned about, the multi-system um, being involved. And those can be pretty severe cases. And ch parents should seek care with the pediatricians if kids do have any of these symptoms. Absolutely. So with that in mind, with the fact that, you know, a lot of children may manifest, those that do manifest symptoms will look a lot like the symptoms that adults may have. There are some some exceptions. There are, you know, you mentioned the severe presentation, the, um, the, the multi-inflammation uh, syndrome. But I guess the question I want to get at now is a lot of businesses have relied on screening protocols. They're looking for fevers. They're looking for other symptoms. But if you've got a large population of young people who may be more likely to be asymptomatic, how good or how, how might this work in schools where the kids are less likely to manifest symptoms? That's the question. 
So I think we can, again, draw parallels with our field in healthcare epidemiology. So a lot of things that we've learned over the past few months in healthcare epidemiology also translates for us here in the school setting. And that is some of us may be screened and may be symptomatic or may be asymptomatic. But however, as the day progresses, we may start having symptoms. Similarly, parents need to be aware, daily check in with their kids and see before they go to school whether they have any symptoms. But be ready to also understand that kids may manifest as the day progresses and Mm -hmm. start having symptoms. So they should be ready to right away pivot and unfortunately go and check in on the kid and bring them back from school. And you were you were here in the room while I was chatting with my brother in the earlier part of the podcast, and he mentioned that we're putting a lot of the stake here in the parents and the loved ones to really help monitor this at home. Because a one-time check of symptoms first thing in the morning may not be the most accurate way to screen someone. You really need uh, a more holistic approach. Yes, absolutely. And that's where, you know, we all have to work together, parents, the kids, Mm -hmm. the kids who especially want to go to school and, you know, have to be honest. If they start feeling ill, they really need to call and tell their teachers that, hey, now I'm not feeling that well. And so therefore, I think it's everyone together, all groups, parents, children and the staff at work. Agree. Good. Excellent point. So next question, there's some early reports in other countries, and, and I know you've, you've read and seen some of this data, countries like South Korea, France, Ireland, relatively early in the course of the pandemic, were showing that school-aged children may actually be less likely to transmit the virus. There was this thought that maybe they're not little vectors after all. Maybe they're less prone to spreading the virus. The greater risk might actually be from household contacts. But now, as things have evolved, we're starting to see other places where schools and daycare centers have triggered waves of new cases, outbreaks, places in the United States such as Texas, other countries in the world are experiencing this as well. So we've got these two conflicting stories. We've got the early experience in some countries, and we've got the more current experience. How do you square the differences between those two things, Trini? So I think we are learning a lot. Again, this is a novel virus. We are learning new things about this. And it might be different in different settings. So what we've learned in other countries may not hold true for us in the U.S. But unfortunately, what we're learning is states that have opened up, unfortunately, are having some cases. So the critical piece for us to remember is, as we've learned in healthcare setting, is change is constant. Unfortunately, even during the day, we may we have, you and I have had to change some policies and procedures, and we keep telling everyone, be flexible, pivot. We constantly have to bring about changes. And unfortunately, this will hold true also, as we've learned, that schools may have to be doing the same. And I think it, it, as, as us healthcare workers have experienced communication, 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 we have to keep communicating. And, and staff, schools, students, whoever you're talking about will find it frustrating. It, it's frustrating when you're doing one thing in April and you're doing something completely different in June. And um, there's a reason for that. It's because it's science, because we're learning, because we're evolving, because if we didn't learn and evolve, then we would be no better than we were before. And that's the goal is always to get better. Yes, absolutely. And that's where I think we have to remember parents, children, and uh, staff, uh, school administrators, that science might come up with something else. And they've opened up the schools. And then we learn something differently. And then we may change completely the course. And everyone has to be ready for that. 
the reopening of schools has become intensely political. And it's pretty clear that some schools are really pushing forward, even in areas where the community transmission might suggest that this is not such a good idea. But assuming that community transmission is at a manageable level, let's make that assumption, what are some of the basic fundamental things that schools should be doing to keep the students and the staff safe? So I think everything starts actually from home. And now is a good time for both parent and the child or children at home to think about ways that they can protect themselves when they're outside their homes, back in school with their friends. And what we know clearly is the virus is transmitted from a person to a person. However, we also have the contact and concern of objects. So now itself, we can learn to see how frequently do we touch our faces <laughs> with our hands that are unwashed and whether we can decrease that habit, which we inadvertently, all of us have that. Mm-hmm. Parents can work with the kids and have a game about it now at home. Let's see, you know, and say, gotcha, you know, here it is, you know, let's learn. But that's how we prepare to get ready for school. It's not just all the teachers who have to be responsible for looking after the kids, but all of us can learn. And these are some strategies. The other thing parents can do is also think about what are they going to equip their kids when they go to school with disinfectant wipes? What kind of wipes? You know, how are they going to educate the kids on hand hygiene, especially the younger ones? How frequently are you going to do your hand hygiene? How well should you be doing your hand hygiene? So this is a time for us for people at home now to regroup and think as they're preparing to go back to live sessions and also for administrators. So there's a beautiful, in my opinion, a beautiful checklist that CDC has Mm -hmm. for schools and parents can avail of that. It's on the public domain that really spells out everything on what to be ready for. It's very similar to how we had a checklist when we were preparing for our in-hospital settings. And here are some guidance, in fact, also about talking about the concept of presenteeism. If someone feels that they have to be present in school, even though they're feeling ill. So in fact, we should maybe kind of come to the consensus that people and kids should not be at school if they're feeling ill. So there are strategies. So again, I think it's a three levels of looking at it, kids, parents, and the staff administrators at school. So the kids can do their part, parents can do their part. And of course, when they're in school, the administrators will do their part, including disinfecting, deciding how frequently do you have to disinfect your area? Children can learn how to disinfect their tables or the spaces, how not to be sharing, how to kind of have cues to know how to stand, become socially distant. I like that you talked about presenteeism because that's very much in our DNA collectively. And I think right now we have to rewrite our DNA We all have had that experience in our lives where we've felt sick and we've worked anyway. It's just a cold. It'll be fine. Nobody's going to get sick. That's not okay right now, is it? No. And actually, we are going into the respiratory illnesses. The season is going to come up in fall when we'll be having a whole lot of other viruses, including the known uh, coronaviruses that we uh, we are aware about. And it's a good time actually for parents to also think about immunizations and getting the kids ready for school as we as the influenza vaccine comes available. And I'm and glad you brought up immunizations because I just read an article very recently that um, that that children who are immunized against other childhood illnesses, hepatitis, uh, diphtheria, pertussis, etc., 
actually seem to have an improved immune response against coronavirus. It's this idea of um, sort of working your immune system like a muscle. The more you know, immunizations you've been exposed to, your immune system will be stronger for that. So, excellent. yeah, absolutely. I think this is where parents and kids and staff have all got to think about. You know, it's not just keeping myself safe, but you're also helping others. And you and I, in the field of medicine, we talk about herd immunity, and really, it's important not just thinking about yourself, but thinking about others around you. Trini, a, a question I, I get a lot, or I see a lot. On, on different forums online and other places is, you know, why are we making such a big fuss? Uh, you know, what about the flu, right? We never did any of this for the flu. The flu is a deadly respiratory virus. It's been around for a long time, kills a lot of people every year. Why now with what we know, why are we taking all these extreme measures to protect people against COVID when the flu is potentially just as bad? What are your thoughts? I'm glad you raised that question, Nick, because people do draw those parallels. But actually, the two different diseases that we have to be really be aware about. For one, influenza is not as contagious as what we learn in COVID to be. COVID is highly contagious, much more than influenza, but fortunately not as contagious as measles. And we here in Michigan just had that outbreak in oh, yeah. 2019. You and I worked on that. Mm. So fortunately, it's not as contagious as measles, but it's still a very contagious illness, COVID-19. The other concern that we have is for influenza, we already have immunizations available. So those who are at high risk for dying from the flu, what people would just call the flu, just the flu, unfortunately, people can die from it. And we have, fortunately, immunizations available. Right. But for COVID-19, we do not have yet any vaccine. So we really have to take this disease seriously and not get infected. Also, we're learning new things about this disease. There are certain complications that are arising after people have this disease and have had it for a while. So that's what we are looking, learning more about in science and in medicine, the post-COVID. What are the extreme scenarios that people are suffering from, even if they survived COVID? So I think we should really not take this lightly. At this point, we are doing our due diligence and we have to take all the precautions we can, even in school settings and in college settings. Agree. It's really an unfair comparison, right? Uh, you know, I think it's fair to say that no flu that I've experienced in my relatively short career has claimed 150,000 lives in four or five months. You know, we're dealing with something that's unprecedented. And I know we all hate to say that word, but it's, it's the truth. This Absolutely. Is, this Unfortunately, is, that's what we're seeing. And it's just not in the U.S. This is a global pandemic. We don't know what's going to occur again. Absolutely. Similar to what we learned from the 1918 pandemic, it might be coming around a second time around. We just are learning a whole lot more. And only time will tell how we are, whether our risk mitigation is really going to help us control it over the next few months or a year. Or unfortunately, if it's going to be taking us longer, time will tell. So Trini, just like we've seen in, in so many venues now, um, professional sports, restaurants, churches, you name it, there's a, there's a case report or a case series about just about every one of these places. I think it's fair to say that if and when these schools begin to reopen and, and if they decide to have school in person, there are going to be clusters of new cases. It's going to happen. I'm sorry, it just is. So I want you to kind of walk me through right now how schools, educators, communities, parents, how should they be handling these situations when they do inevitably occur? Yeah, unfortunately, it will happen. We've already seen that. 
but it all depends how we can handle it. So in other words, I think the one message that we have learned or we've come to agree on, Nick, in healthcare is stay calm. You know, we know how we, we know that change is going to happen and this change will be a change in your day when suddenly you have an outbreak or cases of few kids becoming ill. However, be patient, be calm and learn that there are some strategies for us all to cope with, even for children to think about coping because it's kind of a loss. You are with your friends and suddenly you are told you can't go anymore. So that's a coping strategy that kids have to work with and parents have to start talking and having conversations with kids about it. But also the most important thing is learning to respect some of the information that you may get may not be all available right away, but the administrators will be working with public health department and providing the information to staff and to parents and to kids when is it safe to resume back with in-school activities. So I think we do see, we do expect these clusters are going to happen in schools, but the way we approach it and the way we control that would be really important so that we don't have more infections than a, a wave of infections within that school and within that community. And, and you, you know, you heard uh, Ben say earlier in the podcast, communication is key. Really making sure that school staff and administrators are communicating with their families, with their parents. There will be some information that they cannot give. Uh, that's okay, but they'll do the best that they can. And I think you highlighted working with public health is going to also be key in these situations. Yeah, another thing I'm hearing and learning about is this concept of learning pods. The idea is that. Students who are are participating in virtual learning may get together with other groups of students in sort of an unstructured uh, or semi-structured setting with a paid tutor or a paid teacher, and that person will sort of uh, coordinate and, and, and work with these students on, you know, whatever subject matter they're learning at that time. This is becoming sort of popular. And the idea is pretty simple. It's it's really a relief to the parents, right, that the parents can pay the tutor and, you know, then themselves as parents, because they've got day jobs and things to do, they can, you know, sort of turn the responsibility of teaching over to this, you know, paid tutor. Um, I think the question we have to ask ourselves um, about this, if this is an option that we're considering or we're, or we're interested in, is how much structure really is there? Um, you know, schools... Are, ha, should have playbooks and should have protocols, and they have um, they have a clear infrastructure in place. They they should be working with local and state health departments. They should be getting their information from reputable sources like the CDC. I guess one question I would ask is: Is this learning pod going to be implementing or instituting some of the same safeguards that your school would institute? Or is, is the expectation and the accountability going to be there? Are we going to expect these students to mask and social distance and wash their hands and not come to the pod if they're exhibiting any symptoms? And so those are those are important questions. Um, another question I think that needs to be asked is, um, you know, is, is, is it cost prohibitive? Uh, you know, I think one thing I'm hearing about a lot of these pods is that they're, they can be quite expensive. Many of them charge by the hour. And um, so you have to consider um, cost as a factor as well. I guess the, the punchline here is that parents uh, or students who are considering this option should really get the facts and really know what they're getting themselves into and, and make sure they're asking the right questions about these learning pods. It's not to say that it's not a good idea. It's just to say that 
you know, if you are going to do this, make sure that whatever learning pod you're going to be a part of is doing all the right things, just as your school would be expected to do the right things. I agree, Nick. I think one thing that we've learned from this COVID pandemic is learning to be flexible and thinking outside the box. And that's one thing we have really made great strides in, you know, telework, telecommuting. And so here it is, a new concept of pods. However, something to factor in also is, again, what we so far know from science that we transmit one on one, one person to another person. And therefore, it's really important still to adhere to some of the principles of infection prevention. And that is uh, social distancing, doing your source control, like what you and I talk about in healthcare settings, wearing a mask, you Mm -hmm. know, not just looking after for yourself, but looking after for those around you, keeping them safe, too. But again, these are interesting concepts. And it definitely may help out. Let's talk about a special group of students. Um, Let's talk about college students. You know, we've spent pretty much the whole time this podcast talking about, you know, school-aged children, young people. What fundamentally is going to be different about students that are going to be returning to college this semester? So I think with college, it's uh, information that we can think about. It's kind of a mixed model between schools and between workplaces, because here we are having folks who are adults who are having to be together. However, they have to also think through and think about social distancing, mm-hmm. think about not sharing certain items that they would have felt comfortable sharing with their friends. So I think there's a really interesting concept that we have to hone in on, and the concept is the closer you are and the longer you interact with someone without that mask to help you for source control, the higher the risk of infection. So that's something for us to remember, especially when kids may go, college students may go back to dorms. There's a great CDC website infographic that even spells out about how to be careful about not putting your own objects for uh, around places that could be used in common areas and how to be careful, how to disinfect. So I think things for us to remember as others go into college and into dorms. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up the CDC. Um, their infographic, the tips for a successful college school year, excellent resource. Um, I encourage any of you listening to go take a look at that. It's a, it really is a fantastic resource. You know, I worry about a lot about college. I, I really do. We've already seen situations where maybe the college itself was not the source of, of a community outbreak or a cluster of cases, but it was the bars. It was the restaurants. It was the places on campus where the students like to congregate. And I don't know, Trini, that there's fundamentally a way to really prevent that. When when students on campuses get together, those are the things that they're going to do. I, I, I'm, I'm concerned about colleges, to be frank with you. That's true. And that's what we are concerned about, social networks. You know, mm-hmm. we all like to be with our friends. Now, uh, if, you know, folks kind of start interacting more and more in congregate settings, then you are, you know, setting up yourself for failure and getting infected in case there's someone who is asymptomatic. So unfortunately, that's an area for people to think about. To Truly, should they be all sitting together in rooms together also, if not in bars, but hanging out together in rooms? Again, all major questions for folks to think about now before they start doing things like that. Well, at least we know that they probably won't be congregating at college football games this year. Ooh, sorry. That was... <laughs> That was a bit of a shot. I apologize. But I, I, you know, let's hover on that for just a moment. I don't think that anyone, I don't think you or I were surprised about that decision at all, right? Exactly. I mean, at this point, you know, we know that folks, when they come together, 
unfortunately may transmit because we do know, one thing we do know is not just symptomatic, but asymptomatic carriers are there, asymptomatic people who may unfortunately send to each other, transmit to each other. It was not a popular decision to cancel college football in the Big Ten, but I, I believe as a healthcare provider, as someone that understands infectious diseases, that it was the right call to make. And, um, you know, we'll see how things progress and hopefully in the very short near-term future, we'll be able to play college football again. That's all I can say about that. Future will tell. We'll see. <laughs> Speaking of the future, Trini, one a fun one to end on. I want to know what your prediction is for what the next three to six months of this whole um, crazy mixed-up world is going to look like. Well, I think we definitely will be having a lot of bumps and bumps of cases and rise in cases, unfortunately, and then we'll control it. And then, unfortunately, we may still again have another uptick. And so this might go on for a few months and hopefully not years, because once we get vaccine, now the question is how everyone will receive it, how everyone will accept taking immunizations, and that is what's going to help us control this pandemic. So unfortunately, for the next few months, we will be on a roller coaster ride. Can't wait. (laughs) Trini. We will work together. (laughs) Indeed. Um, that's about all we have time for today. Trini, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Great conversation. Thank you. Um, I also want to remind you to send along any questions or suggestions to podcast at beaumont.org. Uh, also, for more information, including a collection of recent podcasts related to COVID-19, check out beaumont.org safe. We also have a wealth of general information on coronavirus that's available at beaumont.org coronavirus. And with that, we will leave you today with this healthy thought. Schools are a critical component of a healthy community, and this year will be a never-before-seen challenge to our students, teachers, and communities. For schools to open up safely, schools will need to implement a number of safety measures to keep students and staff safe, and we all have to do our part to mitigate the spread of coronavirus in the community. That means wearing a mask when we're in public, remembering to social distance, If you're sick or if you have symptoms that could be consistent with COVID, you should stay home and you should stay away from others to help limit the spread. And obviously, wash your hands as often as necessary. Let's all do our part to help the schools so the schools can do their part to help our students, our families, and our communities. Thank you. Continue your journey to living a smarter, healthier life. Visit Beaumont.org slash podcast to access information and resources related to today's podcast. 